The title of my message this morning is God's Masterpiece, and it's a message that's almost too good to believe. A message that's really actually hard for most of us to believe, because as we're going to discover, you are God's masterpiece. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are God's masterpiece. And we're going to look at that and realize we're different than that old violin. When we talk about what has the redeeming touch of the master's hand done in your life and done in my life, it goes way beyond a little bit of dust. It goes a little way beyond a little fine-tuning. The violin could be repaired, but we couldn't be repaired. We had to be made new. As the masterpiece of God, we are a new creation. Spurgeon wrote it this way, and I want to just read it. It says, The spiritual life cannot come to us by development from our old nature. Our new life is as truly created out of nothing as were the first heavens and the first earth. This ought to be particularly noticed, for there are some who think that the grace of God improves the old nature into the new. It is nothing of the sort. Our old nature, we were dead. No dusting, no polishing, no fine-tuning would have worked. It would not have been sufficient. We needed to become a new creature, a new Christian, a new born-again believer. There had to be a complete redemption and a complete rebirth in our lives. You know, in Titus, the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God's or good works really, really matter. But Paul has been very careful to remind us over and over in the book of Titus that we are saved by grace through faith, not good works. But good works matter so much because they reveal the Father to the world. Our good works that glorify God, reveal God to the world around us. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world, to a dying world, really, to a world that's dead, that needs to be reborn by the power of God. So I'm going to look at some scriptures in Ephesians, and Paul, again, is the author, so it's not too surprising that a lot of the message sounds the same. And then I'm going to focus on really just primarily one verse in chapter 2 of Ephesians. What I'm going to read should remind us of the seriousness of the situation that an unbeliever is in. If you're an unbeliever here today, this should really, really put the fear of God in you. If you're a believer here today, It should cause thanksgiving to rise up in you again and again and again, where we see Paul's description of who we were before Christ. And the good news is, he doesn't stop with that. He shows us the amazing love and grace of God that appeared in his son Jesus and really is a demonstration of the touch of the Master's hand in our own lives. 
Just pray with me. Father, I just pray right now as we look into your word, your word is living, and it's more powerful than a two-edged sword. Father, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, bring the word of God alive in our lives, even today, that it would have the impact and the effect that you intended to have in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from uh, the New Living Translation today, most of the time. I'll be going back and forth to the NIV, but I, I like the way it expounds on what the American Standard or the King James might say. Starting in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and because of your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We were dead. You and I were dead. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't care how many good works you've done, I don't care how many times you've gone to church or been baptized or confirmed, I don't care about any of that, you're dead, according to the Word of God. You are spiritually dead. There is no hope for you other than Jesus Christ. His burial, death, and resurrection. The wrath that he endured for me, for you. Unless we receive that gift that is freely offered. And in Titus it said, he appeared, the grace of God, the love of God appeared for all men. So it's available to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. His grace is available to us. And all we need to do is receive his grace. He freely offers it, and it breaks his heart when his creation rejects it. The grace of God appeared. We are dead because of disobedience and because of sin. And honestly, according to Scripture, we are dead because of the sin of Adam and Eve back in the garden. But even if it wasn't for them, we've sinned. As soon as we understood and had enough understanding to know what was right, we did what was wrong. And we really couldn't help it because that nature, that sinful nature was there. And sometimes we justify ourselves or we even have a hard time understanding and receiving what I've just said when we look out there and say, but gee, they're such nice people. They're such good people. Look at all the good things they do. The word of God says here, we're, we're all living in sin like the rest of the world. When sin came into the world, it was a disease, it was a cancer that afflicted the whole world. Not just people, it says all of creation groans. All of creation was under the curse that was brought by sin. So it doesn't matter if, they, if, if they're good people, trying really hard, doing really well, if they don't know the Lord, all of those good works, all of their effort, for nothing in terms of eternity. Oh, it might help people in the natural. It might do some good things here and there for people in the here and now. But in terms of eternity, God says 
it doesn't count at all. Not at all. And we can think, God, that's harsh. God, that's not fair. The reality is, a free gift changes everything. A free gift changes everything. Good thing he's not fair. But we would get what we deserved if he was fair. But he's just and he met his own justice by offering up his son to die in our place. It goes on and says, we were living a life of obedience to the devil. Now the reality is, I believe, most of us, before we were saved, didn't know we were living a life in obedience to the devil. We were just living a life in obedience to whatever we wanted. But by our nary nature, the prince of this world is Satan. The power of sin had controlled us and was in our lives and in our hearts. We were being obedient to do what he wanted us to do. Anything that glorifies self or glorifies him and does not glorify God is the work of Satan in our life. We all live that way according to the scripture. And it says, because of this, by this very nature, by this very nature, we are subject to and deserving of God's wrath. If you wanted God to be fair, that's what we deserved. The fullness of his wrath. Separation for eternity in hell. That's what we deserved. By our very sinful nature. And I am so glad the message of Paul doesn't stop at the end of verse 3. He goes on in verse 4 and says, but God. He describes who we were, how bad our situation was, how hopeless our situation was, and then he says, but God. But God intervenes. Starting in verse 4, it says, but God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us. Now listen to this. He says, but God, and now he says, He did this so that. So, God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all of us, in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. What he's talking about and what he's describing is for only those who are united with Christ who have received the gift of salvation through what Jesus did. We've been adopted into the family of God, and the Father himself calls us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. Look what it says. He is motivated by what? His mercy and his love. His kindness. He saw who we were. He saw the condition of mankind, but because of his amazing mercy, abounding grace, In his unfathomable love, he decided to do something about it. He sent his son. He gave us life. And the picture that's mentioned here and repeated is when Jesus himself was raised from the dead, it's the victory over the power of sin, the victory over death. 
And when he was raised to life, that new life is made available for every single person that's ever lived or ever will live through what he did. If we identify with Christ, we were crucified with Christ. He took the wrath that we deserved, and he died. We died with him, and he was raised from the dead. And we as believers are raised with him, given new life. Not a dusted off, tuned up, tweaked life, a new life. The old nature couldn't be tweaked. It couldn't be dusted off. It couldn't be fine-tuned. The world and religion so often tells us that's what we need to do. Get your act together. Just quit. Don't do that anymore. Be a nice person. Man, does that wear you out. And it does no good. The old nature cannot be rescued. It has to be completely destroyed and renewed, and we need to be born again. And only God could do that. We can't do it. We can't fix ourselves. We can't fix anybody else. Only God can do it. By his grace, by his mercy, by his love. In John 5, verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. It's the promise of God. If we have heard the truth, if we've heard the gospel, if we believed the gospel, if we believe the message of Jesus, if we believe who Jesus is, if we believe what he did and what he accomplished, and that he was raised from the dead, if we believe that and receive that, it says you have been now taken from death to life. 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 And not just life as we're going to see. We are God's masterpiece. His masterpiece. Think about that for a second. Look at all of creation. I love looking at all these beautiful pictures that you guys put on on Facebook on your vacations and the place you go and the place you travel, and they're just amazing. And if you think of all of that and how amazing all of creation is, he says, that's nothing. Look in the mirror. I created you. You're my masterpiece. I sent my son to give you the ability to be born again, not by anything you can do, but I just did it. All you did is received it. Look in the mirror. You're the greatest masterpiece of all my creation. That's a hard thing to believe. I look in my mirror. That's not the first thought that goes through my mind. But you are God's masterpiece if you've accepted Christ. I am God's masterpiece if I've accepted Christ. So God, and look, look at verse 7. I don't know if it's still up there or not. That looks like verse 10 to me. There we go. Verse 7. It says what? Why did he do this? So that. Now think about this for a moment. He did this not only so that people on earth, as you're walking out this life that he's given us, not only that those people can see his glory, but in all the ages to come, God can point at you and me, and people will see for eternity the glory of God in your life. I thought, imagine that. In eternity, that tells me that when I'm in heaven... Worshiping God before his throne, he can point at me and say, look at that. There is a demonstration, there is a masterpiece that will reveal the glory of God forever. 
That's you. If you've accepted Jesus, that's you. That's me as his masterpiece. He can point at us, not just here, but on earth, in earth, on the earth, but also in heaven for eternity's sake. And then just to make sure we don't forget, Paul reminds us again in verse 8, what? You are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. But those works are important. Okay, go ahead and put up uh, verse 10, or slide uh, showing Ephesians 2.10. I would encourage you to do as deep a study as you want on that verse. It's an amazing verse. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ. We are a new creation. Creation. That old dead man does not exist anymore once you accept Christ. Matter of fact, we can't blame him anymore. We are a new creature in Christ, Jesus, so that we can do the good things, the good works, the good deeds that he has planned from before. You know, God has a plan for your life, and included in that plan is the good works, the good things he intends for you to do. At the top of that list is to to live a holy and righteous life through Christ that brings him glory and brings him honor. All those other good deeds that we do, they're nice, but living in such a way that brings God glory and honor. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read it from uh, the NIV also. For we are God's workmanship. Many of your translations may say workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Created. Created. We already were, weren't we? But that was dead. We have now been created anew in Christ Jesus. We're new creatures in Christ. Why? To do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. That word in the Greek is poema. Poema. It's a powerful word, poema. If you just look at the word, you might guess there's a couple words in our English translation that come from that word, poema. The word poem and poetry. The word masterpiece. The word workmanship comes from that word poema. It means something that is made. And in the context of the scripture here that we're looking at, it is referring to something that God has made. You and I are his poema. His work of art. You are his masterpiece. You are his poem. You are this amazing thing. The most amazing thing he's ever created. Poema. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says this. Therefore, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That old life is gone, a new life has begun. A new life as his poema, as his masterpiece. Have you figured out yet who you are? As a child of God, you are his masterpiece. And I understand that's hard to believe, but it's true. Poem, poetry, masterpiece, artwork, made by the master's hand. When you think of artwork, you think of poem, you think of a masterpiece, it is created from the vision of the artist. 
You and I have been created by the vision of the Father. We have been created. When that artist puts his work on a piece of canvas, when he makes a piece of pottery, when he writes a poem, what he's doing is he is putting himself, he's putting himself into his artwork, into his masterpiece. When you look at the works of Michelangelo, you see part of Michelangelo in his work. Think about that for a moment. When the master artist, the master, looks at you and I, and he he created us as his masterpiece, he puts himself into us. When you look in the mirror, remind ourselves of that truth. We are a supernatural masterpiece of God. His artwork. I hope you're beginning to understand how valuable, if you've never realized it before, how valuable you are to the mind of God and in the heart of God. You are so valuable. I am so valuable to him. He loves me so much. He cares about me so much. He loves you so much as his masterpiece. No matter how you feel, no matter how you feel, don't believe your emotions. Believe the word of God. He says, you are his masterpiece. I don't feel like it. Look at my life. Well, go ahead and beat yourself up all you want. You're doing the works of the devil now. Quit doing that. You don't have to anymore. You're a new man. You're a new creature. In Christ, you're his masterpiece. Stand on the word of, the God, of, word of God, not on how you feel. Timothy Keller, and it's going to have kind of a long quote. I believe it's going to be up there. I hope you can read it. But Timothy Keller is a pastor, a teacher, uh, apologist, uh, he, he planted a church in New York City, uh, grew it to thousands, and he is recently stepping down as the lead pastor to train and train pastors and people. Uh, he's been around a while, well-respected. He wrote this. Do you know what it means that you are God's workmanship? What is art? Art is beautiful. Art is valuable. And art is an expression of the inner being of the maker, of the artist. Imagine what that means. You're beautiful. You're valuable. And you're an expression of the very inner being of the artist, the divine artist, God himself. You see, when Jesus gave himself on the cross, he didn't say, I'm going to die just so you know I love you. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to bleed for your splendor. I'm going to recreate you into something beautiful. I will turn you into something splendid and magnificent. I am the artist and you are the art. I am the painter, you are the canvas. I am the sculptor, you are the marble. You don't look like much there in the quarry, but I can see. Oh, I can see. Jesus is the artist. And you are his crowning achievement. You are his masterpiece. That's who you are. You're a new creature. And it's a challenging thought to know and believe that you are God's work of art. Because you don't feel like it. Probably had people tell you for a long time that that's not what you are at all. They probably called you a lot of things, but none of them were God's masterpiece. 
You know, the world, and I'm guilty of this, I confess it, if I've said it to you, I apologize right now, but the world says we are a product of our environment and our experiences. I have to call that a lie because the Word of God says we are a product of God. Our environment and our experiences, I believe, are what hold us back from becoming the product of God that he wants us to be. So I'm not saying they don't impact us. I'm not saying they don't affect the way we live our lives. What I am saying is that's not who you are. That's not who you should define yourself as. What's happened in your life, the environment you lived in, you were brought up in, the experiences that you've had should not define you, no matter what the world says. What God says about you should define you and should define me. And he says, amongst other things, that I am his child, purchased with the blood of his son Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and I am beautiful, splendid, and magnificent, no matter how much fun you make of me. Well, he doesn't say that. I just said that. That's who I am. And you can choose to believe the truth or believe a lie. And the author of lies is the devil. Let's choose to believe what God says. The word declares clearly that as believers we are a product of God. The word itself, the Bible uses the example in the picture of the potter and the clay. It's such a great picture and it's such a great metaphor. You know, can you imagine if the clay could speak saying, hey, I I had a role in what I turned out to be here. And the master potter, the master's hands would just look at him and say, you didn't do anything. I went out and I got the clay. I brought it into my workshop. I prepared the clay to be molded and modeled. I put the clay on my wheel. I'm the one. My hands shaped it and formed it. I'm the one who put my life into my art. I'm the one that put it into the kiln. I'm the one. The clay, you didn't have anything to do with any of that. And that's how it is really for us. You know, in, Timoth- or in Titus, you know, that verse, I just love that word, when the grace and love of God appeared. When his grace and love appeared, his grace was extended to you and to me. All, at one time or another, the Holy Spirit was wooing us and wooing us and wooing us, and God gave us the grace to receive the invitation to accept Christ. He did that. He wooed us, He offered us the invitation and he gave us the grace to receive the invitation. And once we receive the invitation, we are a new creature in Christ. He gave us a new life and he's continually transforming us into his final goal for us is his masterpiece. The process. You know, the only place in the New Testament where this word poema is used is found in Romans 1, verse 20. Only two places in the whole Bible. And I think we can glean something from where it's used in Romans 1, verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world's God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that all men are without excuse. You know, this is the answer I give to people when they ask me, well, what about that person in the jungles of Africa that's never heard the word of God? Here it is. All of his creation. Everything's created is revealing him 
to the whole world. No one has an excuse. The same word there, poema, here it's the whole phrase that we're reading there is, is uh, that one word. What God has made, what has been made. So we're really seeing here a picture of another masterpiece. I'm going to quote, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, a man by the name of Henry Morris. Um, he's, he's dead now. He died in about 2006, I think, six or seven, somewhere in there. But he was a, a founder of the Christian Research Society, founder of the Institute of Christian Research. And he says this, God has written two poetic masterpieces. As it were, one in the physical creation, that which we see around us, and two in the lives of men and women redeemed and saved by his grace. Two masterpieces. Both give eloquent testimony to the eternal power and Godhead of the creator and redeemer. Two great divine poems is how Harris put it, Morris put it. Created world in us, both demonstrating to the world around us the glory of God. The glory of God. This is one of the reasons good works are so important. This is the reason that good works matter so much. They don't save any of us, but they reveal the glory of God. You know, sometimes I wonder, what does it mean that, to glorify God? Anybody ever wonder that? What do I have to do to glorify him? Well, this is the definition that, that Morris used, and I, I like it because it's simple, and I get it. He says, to glorify simply means to give a proper opinion of. I, as his masterpiece, am to live my life in such a way that the good works that I do give a proper opinion of the Father God. That's what it means to glorify him. When people look at my lifestyle, they look at your lifestyle, are we living a holy and righteous life according to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us? And I realize we mess up, right? We mess up. That's a given. But am I living in such a way that it's giving a proper opinion of who God is? Or do they look at me and say, boy, God must be confused. Because he lives this way, he talks this way, he does this, he does that. No, I want to live a life that will give people the proper opinion of who God is, who our Father is. New creatures in Christ. We need to remember we are created for God's glory. Created for good deeds. Because it's our good deeds that reveal the Father. And he gets all the glory. Really, as Morris says, and I think we've heard it before many times, the chief end of each one of our lives is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Everything I do is to glorify him, and I'm going to enjoy it forever and ever and ever. I want to go back as I close to that quote from Spurgeon that I read at the beginning of my sermon. The spiritual life cannot come to us by development from our old nature. Our new life is truly created out of nothing as we're the first heaven and first earth. This ought to be particularly noticed for there are some who think that the grace of God improves the old nature into the new. It does nothing of the sort. When we are touched by the master's hand, 
when we are saved by grace through faith, that is the touch of the Master's hand. We are a new creature. We're born again by the touch of the Master's hand. We become his masterpiece at that moment. And it's like so many things in Scripture are a little hard to comprehend because we become his masterpiece, but we are still becoming his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece, but he continually, he is the master craftsman, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, sometimes you and I may not like the Holy Spirit in his role as master craftsman because sometimes he gets out his little hammer and chisel and starts having to do a little chiseling, a little work. But he's transforming us into the image of Jesus. The only way it happens is, again, is the touch of the master's hand. I want to close with this last verse in Philippians 1, 6. Because if you're like me, you get impatient. You wonder if it's ever going to end. How much stuff, is there going to be anything left when you get through chipping away? It says this. Be confident of this. That he, the master craftsman, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to give up. He's not going to quit. The progress might have a little bit to do with how quick we are to respond to the master craftsman, the Holy Spirit. But the reality is we have all been changed and transformed by the touch of the master's hand. And choose to believe the truth. I know some of you think, I'm like, we get it. But I know some of you are like me. You have a hard time believing who you really are in Christ. That you are his child. Adopted into his family. Made a joint heir with Christ. Seated with him in heavenly places. You know what? This new creation, this new Mike, I am no longer a citizen of planet Earth. In God's eyes, I am now a citizen of heaven. I have been seated with him. Positionally, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm just a sojourner here on earth, and so are you if you've accepted Christ at the work of the Master's hand. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just can be so overwhelmed by how you see us, by how you see me. who you say I am. Father, I pray you would help each one of us to receive that truth by faith, your grace. To know who we are in Christ, that that our lives may glorify you, that our lives will give a proper opinion to the world of who you are as our loving Heavenly Father. I pray that you would give us the grace to be just malleable, pliable, formable clay in your hands. Lord, I pray for each one of us to see your work in every situation. That we can put our hope, our confidence, and trust in your word that, that you've started a good work in us by your grace. And you will be faithful to complete it by grace. Amen.